Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner and a personal finance author. This is a show to help you understand your money, and we've got some really interesting topics today. We're going to talk about Social Security viability. We're going to talk about company climate disclosure rules. As we're approaching summer, we're going to look at ways of planning a summer vacation that won't break the budget. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy section, I answer the question, Peggy, how did I get enrolled in this company retirement plan? So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update. This is for the week ending May 12th, 2023. And other than the NASDAQ, it was a pretty not exciting week in the market. The Dow was down a little over a percent. The S&P was down about 0.29%. And the NASDAQ was up four tenths of a percent. Gold was down a little less than half a percent. And oil, West Texas Intermediate Crude front month price was down 1.74%. And at the time I was checking the data, the current price was $70.09. The 10-year Treasury yield is up 2.83%, and its current rate is 3.468%. The dollar was up about 1.5%, and Bitcoin was down about 9 and 3 tenths of a percent, and its current price is $26,000. 785. So the Bitcoin concern of last week's show appears to have stabilized out. I haven't seen a lot of headlines. Quite frankly, there's been a lot of financial news vying for the top headline, but it does appear that after its precipitous drop last weekend, things are looking a little bit more stable. Now, I should warn you guys, I normally tape on Monday morning, but I'm taping on Saturday morning. So I'm taping this show as of Saturday, May 13th. So if something really exciting happens in the next two days, and I don't mention it, that would be why. So I wanted to talk today, this isn't really exactly market news, and we'll talk a little bit about the debt ceiling and the legislative update But I read a very interesting article based off of a podcast by three guys who I have heard of. They're very smart. One of them I personally know. That is Wade Fow, P-F-A-U is the spelling of his last name, along with Brian Bass and Alex Maguria. And they were talking about social security viability. And the reason I wanted to talk about this, and I don't usually talk about somebody else's just commentary. Usually I look at the data and I make my own comments on it. But I think this is really important, and especially because Wade was involved with this. I wanted to share some of their ideas with you. I will have the link if you listen to this as a podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or um 
if you should happen to listen to CastBox or Google Podcasts. So it'll all be in those places. And there's not, they are not as worried about a precipitous collapse of Social Security as some people are. And really, they are projecting things I have said, but you know, I'm always looking for experts to offer opinions. And so I'm very, very heartened by what they are saying. And they had a couple of things in their discussion that I didn't know. So basically, the concern is that um, the Social Security Trust Fund, under its current iteration, will be in serious trouble, almost depleted, by sometime in the 2030s. However, you know, they begin by reminding people that, first of all, until the 1980s, there wasn't a Social Security Trust Fund, which I didn't know. It was the changes in how Social Security was managed, like its taxation and the raising of the retirement age that created this surplus, this trust fund in the first place, which I think thought was super interesting given that Social Security was functional without it up until the 1980s. You know, Social Security came about in the Great Depression. It was the Social Security Act of 1935. And although some of its ideas were designed to help people immediately get over the crisis of the Depression, the monthly benefit didn't actually begin until 1942. So there's always been some ebb and flow in Social Security, and yet there's a very broad understanding among everyone that this can't be allowed to fail. Um, one of their suggestions was raising the payroll tax, and they said if the payroll tax was raised from 12.4% to 16.01%, that would fund the entire gap. The other suggestion that they had was what I have said for a long time, which is remove the salary cap. Right now, and I didn't look up the cap, and I should have looked up the exact dollar amount. It is about $150,000 a year, okay? Um, I, that's, a, that's a round number. But if you earn more than that, that money isn't subject to Social Security tax. And so the idea is to tax all the income at Social Security and that will solve the problem immediately because there are lots and lots of people in the country who are earning more than 150000 I think it would probably be a more palatable solution for a lot of folks rather than, um, rather than increasing the payroll tax, which would hurt everyone. But I can really see that by just lifting the debt cap and whatever money you earn, you pay Social Security on it. And, you know, all that would do is put higher earning individuals in the same situation as lower earning individuals where all of their salary is taxed. There's really absolutely no reason at all that if we're going to make lower income people have to have all of their income taxed, then it should go all the way up the scale. That is my opinion only. There's a lot of other things that lawmakers can do. 
what this trio of researchers believes to be true is that they will find a solution to this, that this will not be allowed, um, ignoring all of the political machinations going on right now on both sides. It's not going to happen. That was their conclusion. I've believed that all along. I felt a little bit better when other people were agreeing with me. There's another component to this, though, that I want to toss out. Let's say nobody does anything, and it's the 1930s. I'm sorry, it's the 2030s, and we run out of this trust fund. It would actually only drop people's benefits between 20 and 25% because there's more money coming into the system. Basically, this is spending the surplus. Now, I can't come to the same conclusion that they did which is um, because this was in an article written for financial professionals that for a lot of your clients, this wouldn't be that big of a deal. This would be a huge deal, but it isn't a benefit that's going to zero. And so when you're looking at doing financial planning, rather than maybe zeroing out what the value of your social security benefit is, because I have a lot of people who don't want me to include social security at all you could knock that number down by 30% as you were doing your planning and see what happens. I know a lot of people who live on Social Security, and that 25% differential would be the difference between making it and not making it. So I really don't think this happens. But if you are doing planning, and right now you're planning for no benefit, you might assume it starts at 70 you might drop the value by 30%, but it seems fairly likely that with those changes, you will be able to receive that much of a benefit. And quite frankly, I think everything's going to continue to roll along because I don't see any one particular session of Congress wanting to be the ones who do this. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I'd like to share with you something that I didn't know was in the works, but I think it's kind of interesting. The SEC is going to start requiring emissions disclosures from publicly traded companies as part of all of the paperwork that they have to file. Now, this is in part to help make sure that we are going to stay in compliance with the Paris Agreement. It's trying to make sure that when a company is claiming to be environmentally friendly, how does that actually lay out against what they're doing by way of emissions? Now, I am not an emissions expert, but apparently there are three different kinds of emissions, and all of them are expected to have to be disclosed. The third set, people aren't completely sure about, and apparently that is a critical one, that if companies didn't have to disclose it, there could be a lot of data that would be lost. These requirements were supposed to come out in April. They didn't, but they're still on the agenda. So why am I sharing this with you? Because this is really wonky and weedy, and you know I try to keep topics interesting. 
Well, even though I'm a huge fan of mutual funds and really a fan of exchange-traded funds, I know a lot of people like to buy single stocks. And I also know that a lot of people are interested in ESG investing, environmental, social, or governance investing, even outside of retirement plans. You know, we've talked a lot about the issue of allowing those funds inside of plans, but you know, a lot of people have money outside of retirement plans and they like to buy single stocks. And it's all well and good for a company to advertise that they're green. But I'm not completely sure what that means. And I'm not sure anybody else is either because green could mean so many different kinds of things. If in fact they have to disclose their emissions numbers, that would help people make the decision whether or not that company was as green as they're saying that they are, and it would help you make decisions about what you might want to buy or not buy, you know, just completely based off of your own personal interests. But, you know, I'm a huge fan of data, and I'm a huge fan of disclosure, and quite frankly, I think all disclosure is good disclosure. We need to know how the sausage is made, even if we don't like it. So I'm pretty excited about this. If you are a single stock buyer and you are interested in environmental stuff, then this is the sort of data that I would think you would want to know exists. Now, the elephant in the room and what's sucking up all of the oxygen right now on the business channel is the debt ceiling. And it looks like right now there are staffers on both sides that are meeting it's we're kind of getting down to the wire you know this is the 13th it's a saturday supposedly we could get into trouble in very early june on the debt ceiling 11th hour deals are congress's favorite kind of deals absolutely favorite kind so do i think we're going to raise the debt ceiling yes yes i absolutely do but if something were to go completely south, it might make sense that you try to um, have all of your money in banks that are FDIC insured. Okay, start with that. You should be doing this anyhow. I'm not going to tell you anything here that you probably shouldn't already be doing to a certain extent. But if you don't have money, if you do have money rather over the FDIC limits, I would make sure that all of my banking was FDIC, um, FDIC covered just in case things go south. Additionally, and this is not investment advice, okay? Um, this is Peggy advice, but what I want you to do is talk to your own personal financial people and see if they agree with this. If you've got a large sum of cash that hasn't been invested and you're looking to put it in the market right to make money, you might just wait 30 or 60 days and see how this rolls out. Now, I'm not telling you to sell your investments, okay? I absolutely positively didn't say that. And I'm not telling you not to continue contributing to your company retirement plan or your IRA. I'm just saying sometimes people come into lump sums of money, often through a divorce or a death, and they're looking to invest it. I would let this dust settle just a smidge before I put it right into the stock market today. 
from the rest of your investing because I do, I simply have to believe that we're going to be smarter than this, that I would go ahead and um, I would go ahead and continue on with my general practices. If you have a retirement account that you take distributions out of on a regular basis for monthly income and you sell every month like stocks or bonds or mutual funds or whatever it is to generate the cash to make that payment. So basically it's all invested and you sell it as you need it. If you're going to have to sell like the 1st of June or the 1st of July, you might sell early just in case the market takes a short term, okay? Even, even if it's a short-term hit, I would hate for you to have to sell when it's like down by 17%. If, and I say 17% because that's exactly how far it dropped in 2011 the last time we did this. So I'm just basically saying have your cash flow items in good standing. You could make the argument that you should always have a little bit more in reserve to make your monthly payments just because markets are volatile. We know that. But sometimes people don't do that. And so this might be a good time to consider doing that. You don't want to panic. You don't want to make any big changes because this is probably all going to be fine. Okay. But, but I would just be slightly cautious for the next 60 days. I don't think that that is, you know, hair on fire, crazy advice. And I think if something did go wrong in the short term, you'd be covered. So really what I'm suggesting in broad terms is think about what your cash flow needs are going to be over the course of the summer and maybe make sure everything's in as good of shape as it can be right now to help you meet something in case there's a short-term thing that happens. You won't get stuck having to sell at exactly the wrong moment. But I still think there's going to be a deal in time. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And after talking about Social Security and government filings and the debt ceiling, let's take a deep breath and back off into something a little more fun and talk about how to plan your summer vacation. I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of the weather being cold that the really hot weather we've had in Oklahoma recently where the temperatures have been in the 90s is a bit of a relief. Now, it's kind of frustrating because we went from things being freezing cold at night, literally freezing cold at night, to now suddenly it's hot and I don't have my garden in yet. And so I'm hoping to be able to get that done just as soon as it stops raining. And if it doesn't, and you come to my house and you see plastic flowers in the front yard, just know I never could get it to work. But one of the best things about summer is planning a summer vacation. And I suspect that you are close to having some plans made already, but I'd like to give you some last minute tips so that you can have a prosperous vacation without breaking the bank. So the first thing I would recommend doing if you haven't yet is hold a family meeting about where you might like to go. And 
I actually am such a fan of planning vacations in advance and letting the kids be a controlled part of that conversation because they say we derive something like 70% of the mental benefit of a vacation in the planning. And then that once the vacation's over, all of that benefit falls off pretty fast. So extend that positive reinforcement from your vacation as much as you can by doing some planning. And planning will also help you save money. So, you know, the first question to ask is, where do you want to go? And you can offer people a limited range of options. This can be a multiple choice question so that everybody isn't suddenly saying Disney World. And Disney World is an incredibly expensive vacation. That might not be in your budget. But you might be able to say, hey, do you want to go to the lake? Do you want to go to a state park? There are several state parks in Oklahoma that are really cool and offer very reasonable accommodations. So, you know, and you can go up from there. Maybe you want to go to the mountains. Maybe you want to go to the beach. Again, there are different levels of cost associated with different beaches. So you can control your costs that way and get a general consensus of what everybody thinks would be fun. Then, once you've got that decision made, or maybe you make that decision on your own and you say, hey, this is where we're going this year. This next step is super critical because I think a lot of times parents especially really want to make sure that their kids are having fun. And so they do all this stuff, right? Okay, let's say you're going to the beach. So then you go and you play putt-putt and maybe there's a boardwalk. So you plan a trip to the boardwalk and maybe there's a water park and you plan the trip to the water park. And then you find out what your kid's actually wanted to do was go build a sandcastle, which you could have taken care of for about 10 bucks max at Walmart buying a sandcastle kit. So ask your children what they want to do. And then maybe you can find a way to include everybody's top item. But the reason I want you to ask without volunteering ideas is what they want to do might not be that expensive. If it is more expensive, if they want to go to the boardwalk, then you can do that, but you don't have to go play putt-putt, okay? You can organize the money around what everybody wants to do. You also can pack picnics. I'm such a picnic fan. I love picnics myself. I love to go outside and eat. Picnics can be super easy. They can be sandwiches and a bag of chips. Or if it's just you and the person you love, they can go a lot more high-end and involve a bottle of champagne and a cheese board, which again will be cheaper than going to a nice restaurant. So you can choose a great location and have a meal outside and everybody's going to remember that memory more than yet one more interchangeable restaurant meal that costs so much money. 
try to plan ahead. If you're looking at a trip later this summer, try to get your reservations in now. Look at all of your housing options. There's lots of things today that weren't available even, you know, 10, 15 years ago. VRBO, not, not VRBO, um, Airbnb, sorry. Um, Airbnb can oftentimes be a much more affordable option than staying at a hotel. So you really just want to be careful that you know um, what you want to do, where you want to go, how you want to stay, and how you can control your costs. And that way you can have a wonderful vacation, make lots of memories, and not break the bank. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I want to begin with a book update. We're very, very close. It is still not for sale on Amazon. And if you see an Amazon link and you read carefully, you will see that that book is supposed to be in Italian and German. And we're trying to figure out why Amazon thinks that. And I suspect what we're going to have to do is take it completely down and put it back up, which is proving to be a little trickier than we anticipated. But do not pre-order the book right now on Amazon. I will let you guys know. Trust me, I'll let you know on the radio show when it's available to be purchased and we can go from there. I will be in Houston at Book Lovers Con the first weekend of June. If you are in the Houston area and that's an event you attend, I would love to meet you. I will be at Best of Books on June 10th in their afternoon author panel. Best of Books is in Edmond, Oklahoma. And if you're around Edmond or in the Oklahoma area, I would love to see you there. I'll be doing several signings in Oklahoma, so you don't have to drive from some crazy distant place. I'll be other places in Oklahoma, but if you're in the Edmond area... I would love to see you. So that's June 3rd for the book signing in Houston and June 10th for the book signing at Best of Books. So we've talked about this question before on the show. I know we have, but I had someone else ask it this week. And I just think it's important for you to know what can happen when you start a new job or if your existing company changes its retirement plan you can experience something called a negative election. And a negative election basically says, unless you say no, you're in. And a negative election can cause you to be enrolled in your company's retirement plan automatically. It can cause a certain percentage of your salary to go into that plan. Usually it's 3%. It's not going to be some crazy huge number automatically, and it can cause your investments to be chosen automatically. And that last investment being chosen section was what caused the confusion this week, where the person felt like the rep on the phone was saying, okay, well, now you have to own this fund. That is not true. It is the default fund that you're put into. It's probably a target retirement date fund or a balanced fund or a moderate allocation fund, but usually it's a target date. Remember, 
If you have been automatically allocated into a target date fund, you can change that. And you can either choose a target date with a different date, or you can create your own stock and bond mix. Now, the reason you might want to choose the target date with a different date is it puts the whole investment together for you into just one holding. And if your account isn't huge, that might make sense. The trick to target date funds is you've got to look under the hood and see how they define risk tolerance. So I saw one 2030 fund that was very conservative and another company's 2030 fund that was very aggressive. So you've got to look at the asset allocation and see if that's how you want to be invested. If it's too conservative or too aggressive for your taste, you can go further out or further back on the date, and that will help you adjust your risk tolerance. Well, that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you have a question, you could go to the Ask Peggy Facebook page, type in your question, and I'll try to answer it. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>